Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. We've been in a series called Our King and His Prayer, where our King, Jesus, is teaching us to pray. And he does this by giving us a model prayer. He says, pray then like this. He doesn't say pray exactly this. So this isn't necessarily something we have to recite all the time, but it's a guide on how we are to pray. And he begins with who we pray to. And he says, pray then like this, our father in heaven. And so that tells us something about who we're praying to. And then he gives us five petitions. We're to pray that his name would be respected, to be holy. We're to pray that his will would be done and his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We're to pray for every single thing we need for every single day. We're to pray that he would give us his provision. We're to pray for pardon for our sin and that we would pardon one another. And finally, we're to pray for his protection from evil. Now, the one we're going to look at today is in verse 12, and it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this is the one of the petitions. This is the one that requires the most from us because there's a connection uh, between forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's these two ideas are connected. Forgive us as we forgive others. And then Jesus doubles down on that in verse 14. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So not only is this a petition for us to pray, it creates a bit of a theological problem. Because who wants to pray that way? Who wants to say, Father, forgive me just like I forgive them? Who who really wants to pray that way? And so it becomes a bit of a theological problem. It also becomes a path for us to follow. And it's a necessary path, and here's why. I've never been a part of a group of any kind where I have not had someone sin against me. Friend group, work group, sports team, family, church, In every one of those groups, someone sinned against me, and I've sinned against someone. In every one of those environments, sometimes by choice, sometimes by neglect or error, but in every single group I've occupied, I've sinned against someone, and someone has sinned against me. And so we need to understand what this means. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And so this becomes a necessary path for us to follow because we're going to sin against one another and people are going to sin against us. So we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump into what God's Word has to say. Read this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Father, you're, you're so good to us. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us to pray. 
for giving us an idea of what it looks like and how we are to pray. And so, Lord, as we come to this petition today, that we would ask you to forgive us and that we would be commanded then to forgive others. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us because this this is going to press on some hurt places in many of our lives. This is going to press on some potential areas for us to repent and follow you more closely. Um, This is going to bring up memories of people hurting us. So Lord, I pray that as we walk through this passage that you would be very, very close. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Give us ears to hear wonderful things in your word. Give us hearts to receive wonderful things from your word. Guide us today, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see three things today. We're going to see grace requested. We're going to see grace extended. And then we're going to see that grace is required. Let's start with grace requested. So like like the prayer for daily bread and the prayer for protection, this is a request, not a demand. So when we come to God and say, forgive us our debts, we're not making a demand. We're, we're praying a request. This first part of the petition is a request to for God to forgive our debts. Now that assumes some things, okay? When we pray, forgive us our debts, that assumes some things. First thing it assumes is that we have debts. We're saying to God, God, I have Debts. Now that word uh, can be used in the Bible about money. It can be used about monetary debt. It can be used about mistakes. It can be used about transgressions or trespasses. Uh, the, but most scholars understand this word to be communicating not about money debt, but about sin debt. And so this petition, Father, forgive us our debts, is assuming that you and I have sinned. And we know that to be true, both from our experience, we know that we've done things that are wrong, and we know it from the Bible. Uh, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. That word all means all, and that's all all means there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, some of us might think, well, I mean, I'm not as bad as some, maybe I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Well, here's what 1 John 1, 8 says. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So this petition assumes that we have sinned against God. It assumes that we will sin against others. Now, sin always has a Godward orientation. Sometimes we sin because we intentionally do things. Sometimes we sin because we neglect to do things. But sin always has a Godward orientation. And whether we uh, have sinned against someone else or not, primarily sin is against God. We've either not done something in his word or not done something that is consistent with his created order. We've sinned against him And that also entails sinning sometimes against others. So this prayer assumes that we have debt. It also assumes that our Father forgives. Now don't miss that because Jesus tells us to pray this way. He wouldn't tell us to pray this way if God was going to say, no. No, no, no. God loves to forgive us. He loves to forgive us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross to accomplish it. And so when we pray this way, we pray to a father who loves to forgive those who pray to him. 
He loves, he loves to forgive. And there's no balance scale in this verse. The first, the first petition, Father, forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. That's not about a balance scale. There's no, there's no balance scale here. Like our sin against God is far more intense than anyone's sin against us. And we pray to a father who loves to forgive. And finally, this petition, it requires humility. It requires the humility to say, I'm a sinner. God, I need your forgiveness. It requires humility. So the first part of the petition is grace requested. Father, forgive us our debts. It requires humility. The second part is not not just is grace requested in this prayer, but grace is also extended. Not only are we praying that God would forgive our debts, we're also saying that we are going to forgive the debts of others. And so this part of the petition assumes a couple things as well. First, it assumes people will sin against us. It assumes that. And unless you have not lived in the world very long, you've experienced that. You've experienced people sinning against you. And so this this part of the petition where grace has to be extended assumes that people will sin against us. It also assumes that we'll forgive them. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So there's an assumption that not only will we receive grace from God to be forgiven, but that we will extend grace toward those who've sinned against us. Jesus is instructing us this way, and he doubles down on it in verse 14. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now that's chilling. Like if there's not something in your heart going, what? Then you need to read that verse again. Forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This petition assumes not only that we'll receive grace, but that we'll extend forgiveness as well. Asking for forgiveness is hard. It requires humility. Extending forgiveness is harder. It requires surrender. Man, forgiving other people, it's really hard. It's really hard. Here's what that looks like. Um, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. It's going to be on the screen or you can look at in your Bible. Ephesians 4, 31. It says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So the scenario here is that God's people have these things. Perhaps someone's hurt them, sinned against them. We're going to see in verse 32 that he says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. But the, the, the scenario here is God's people have these things in their heart. And grace extended looks like putting all these things away. So we put away bitterness. We put away bitterness. That thing we carry around in our heart, hoping that someone else does to them what they've done to you. Bitterness, that, that feeling that you want everyone else to see what you see. You want everyone else to validate you and punish them. That's bitterness. One writer said, bitterness is the poison we drink, hoping the other person will die. That's bitterness, and we're to put it away. We're to put away wrath, that desire for vengeance, that desire that they would get what's coming to them. We're to put that away. 
We're to put away anger and malice, that emotion that rises up in your heart when you see the person that's wronged you. Clamor and slander, those are two words about how we speak to and about one another. We're to put away that negative talk about people who have hurt us. That's what grace extended looks like. And then he tells us we're to do three things. We're to be kind to one another. We're to be tenderhearted and to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is what this petition is calling us to, that God would forgive us as we also forgive others who have sinned against us. And this is not an optional choice. This is an eternally important command. And our obedience to it reveals something about our heart. Here's what John Stott said about this passage. It says this, This certainly does not mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven. It is rather that God forgives only the penitent. And that one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. So what he's saying there is that if we've been forgiven, we're going to forgive. Forgiven people forgive people. That's what he says. But that doesn't mean it's not really hard. I wish forgiveness was like a switch we flip. I really do. I really wish it was. I wish grief was that way too, where I'm sad, done, check, push the button, move on. But that's not how grief or forgiveness works. Both of those have a one-time singular component where I forgive, I extend forgiveness, and there's a cycle where every time the offender asks to be trusted or is in a similar situation, the forgiver relives that memory. That forgiver has to think, will I make good on the promise I made of forgiving this person? Fresh forgiveness has to be extended all over again. Pain has to be absorbed. Vengeance released. Mercy extended over and over again. And so forgiveness certainly has a a one-time component, but it's also a bit of a cycle. And if the offender who needs to be uh, forgiven doesn't understand the cyclical nature of forgiveness, then this offender will say to the one who forgave, hey, but I thought you forgave me whenever that person's struggling with pain. And their response should be, I did and I do every day. Forgiveness is really hard and it's really beautiful. Last July, Hamilton came out on Disney Plus, um, which meant I finally got to see it. Uh, so, uh, we, man, we've watched it a lot. It's a beautiful work of art. Like, it's, uh, if you don't know the musical, it's about Alexander Hamilton and a little bit of his history uh, as a founding father. It's got great music. Again, it's just a work of art. But one of my favorite songs quickly became the story of Hamilton's wife forgiving him. And the name of the song is It's Quiet Uptown. Now, for some context, if you haven't seen the musical, Hamilton, um, Hamilton sinned against a lot of people, but he sinned against his wife in some pretty heinous ways. Uh, he was unfaithful to her. When that became public, he wrote about it in a thing called the Reynolds Papers. So basically, he just splashed his sin against her all over uh, the country. 
His son uh, was defending his dad's honor because someone was criticizing his father because of that. And his son challenged this guy to a duel and died in that duel. And so not only did Eliza have to forgive Hamilton for um, adultery and for the embarrassment of the Reynolds papers, she had to forgive him for the death of her son. And there's this beautiful moment in the song, at the end of the song, where Eliza takes Hamilton's hand and the chorus of the musical says, forgiveness, can you imagine? Like it's just this beautiful moment where grace is extended. This woman who had been deeply wounded by this man extends grace, she forgives. And in doing so, she's reflecting this petition that Jesus teaches us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So grace is requested. Grace is extended. And then finally, grace is required. Now, there are some commentators that want to soft pedal this and say that maybe this is not exactly saying what it seems to say. Um, I don't think that's accurate because the concept comes up over and over in the Bible that forgiven people forgive people over and over in the Bible and the command forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you over and over in the Bible. Jesus even comes back to this later in Matthew 18. Turn over to Matthew 18. This is my favorite parable that Jesus gives. Matthew 18, it starts in verse 21. Jesus says this, uh, well, Matthew writes, let me say it that way. Then Peter, this is verse 21, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So Peter's wanting to know, how much do I have to do this? How many times? And he says, as many as seven times? <laughs> Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, Jesus is not trying to say 490, okay? That's not what he's trying to say. He's trying to say every single time. And that's what we're called to. We're called to forgive everyone every single time for every single thing. Then Jesus tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, um, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is 20 years wages. 20 years this servant owed him 10,000 of those. So let's argue he made minimum wage. Uh, this debt was over $3 billion and he made minimum wage. That's a lot. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now, just think of the lunacy of this for a moment. I need patience. I just need 200,000 lifetimes to pay this back. It's, it's, it's lunacy what he's asking for. Have patience with me and I'll pay it all back. I can do this. Verse 27, and out of pity for him. Now he asked for patience. The master gave him pity. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. 
3 billion wiped off the books. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, a denarii was a day's wage. This is 100 days wages, $5,800. It's a car payment. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Do, Do you see the order of that? You don't have mercy to get mercy. He says, you had mercy from me. Should you not also have mercy? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, listen, we preach grace here a lot, a lot. But we cannot reduce the weight of that verse. And what we are seeing here is that grace is required in two ways. Grace is required from us who have received it ourselves. If you have received grace from God, if you have been forgiven, we are then called to extend grace to others. It is required that we do that. It is evidence that we've received grace ourselves. And if we're to do this, grace will be required. Not just grace to forgive us, but grace so that we might forgive one another. And listen, if you're looking at this thinking, man, this doesn't seem very hard. If you're looking at this thinking, what's the big deal? You just haven't been hurt hurt bad enough yet. If you think this is not a hard thing to do, you have not been wounded deeply enough. You will be. There's going to be a day when this command, this call to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you, when it's going to cost you something. When to be kind and tenderhearted to people, when it's going to cost you something. And on that day, It's required. It's required that we extend grace to one another. That's what Jesus is saying here. Father, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And so that's the petition. Grace requested. Father, forgive us our debts. Grace extended as we also forgive our debtors, and if we're going to do that, grace is required. It's required. There's no way we're going to do this on our own. There's no way. No way. You let somebody hurt you deeply enough, there's no way you'll do this on your own. And so, here's the question. How do you need grace today? How do you need grace today? Maybe you need grace to know you're forgiven Some of us carry around guilt and shame on the regular and guilt. uh, And I'm not talking about good guilt. Like if you do something wrong, you should feel guilty. Do you know why? Because you did something wrong. You're guilty. Okay. There's good guilt. It's good that you think you're guilty when you're guilty. 
One time I got a, a speeding ticket, and uh, the, it's been more than one time, but this one time, um, I, the, 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 the police officer said, go to see this person, he can write it down for you. So I'm in, the, I'm in the office waiting to see the guy with the magic red pen, and I'm sitting next to someone and trying to have a conversation. And, and all this is a bit of a non-issue for me at this point. And I'm talking to this person who's waiting on the same person I need to see, and I find out this person was a shoplifter. And all of a sudden it hits me, I'm a criminal. <laughs> like I have, I have committed a crime here, you know? And I needed to feel that because you know why? I had committed a crime. We don't like to think about speeding as that, but that's what it is. When you do something wrong, you should feel guilty because you're guilty. There's good guilt. I'm talking about the bad guilt. I'm talking about the stuff that just hangs all over you, that you can never, that just kind of talks to you and tells you how God, you know, this verse is true for everybody else in the world but you. There's no way God can forgive you. He can forgive everybody else, but you, you're a special case. Then there's shame that just kind of says the same thing. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago who said, "I, I finally, I finally understand that Jesus has forgiven me. This person was telling me, Romans 8, 1, finally feels true. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And they were talking about just how freeing it was. Maybe you need grace today to really believe you're forgiven, that you're forgiven. Jesus would not command us to pray a prayer that God would not answer. Forgive us our debts. Our Father in heaven is quick to do that. And we know that's true because of what Christ has done. Colossians 2, it says this, and, and you were, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. All of them. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This idea of a record of debt uh, was common in Paul's culture. If you committed a crime, you would go to the judge. The judge would give you a certificate of debt that had your crime and your punishment on it. And when you were execu- when you were uh, uh, enduring the punishment for the crime, whether that was jail time or in the stocks or something, uh, you would post that certificate of debt next to you while you were doing that. And when you were finished, when you had fulfilled the punishment for your crime, you would take that back to the judge, and the judge would write one Greek word over it, and that word was tetelestai, and it means paid in full. Now, at the cross, one of Jesus' last words was, it is finished. One Greek word, tetelestai, paid in full. And so maybe today you need grace to really believe you're forgiven. And what that ought to do is then free you to forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Maybe you need grace to empower you to forgive. You've been carrying around bitterness and anger and malice and all that you've been carrying it around, thinking that if I hold on to this, I'm hurting that other person. That's really not true. That's the poison you're drinking, hoping they'll die. You need grace to forgive. You need grace to release. You need grace to release justice into the hands of the one, the only one in the universe who can really execute justice. You need grace to release vengeance into his hand. You need grace to release all that to forgive. And listen, I know some of us bring scars into this room. 
Some of us from long ago, some of us from like yesterday, some of us maybe from this morning. We bring scars into this room where we need to forgive and be forgiven. We need grace to do that. We need grace to do that. Jesus tells us to pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We need grace for both of these. How do you need grace today? Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful, so grateful for your goodness to us and your kindness. We're grateful for your grace that, that forgives us and sets us free. Uh, we're, grace, we're grateful for your grace that empowers us to, to release bitterness, to release malice and wrath, to release anger, to release clamor and slander. We're grateful for your grace that empowers us to be, be kind and tenderhearted and to forgive one another. Lord, we're grateful for your grace that does that. And Lord, we, we all, man, we all know ways we need to obey this passage today. So Lord, would you, would you just impress on our hearts and minds how we need to do that? And Lord, then would you give grace for us to follow you in obedience to that? We need your grace for it. Oh man, we need your grace for it. So would you grant it? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.